5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You there, Brother Don? If you're there, everybody else probably is, so let's go with that. All right. So a few Sundays ago, probably been two or three Sundays ago, started preaching or teaching through... um, on becoming disciples, making disciples. Jesus' command to us as Lord, Matthew 28, tells us to go and make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them all things, uh, or teach them to observe all things that I have taught you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to, to the end of the age. So we look at that and started talking about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus and our calling and purpose to to share the gospel with the world, and not only just to share the gospel, but to bring people in uh, connect them in a church and begin to teach and, and, and equip you to be able to share the gospel with other people. That, that's not just giving the people a, a whole position in the church, but it's giving every person who's trusted in Christ as their Savior. And and over the years, um, I, in, in years past, somewhere along the way, can't put my finger on it, but the church got off of that, and we started putting our efforts on a whole lot of other things uh, and spending a lot of spot, time and energy on things other than what Jesus actually told us that we we were to be about doing. And if it's everybody's responsibility and role, and I don't like to do it as a duty. I mean, I love to share the gospel with people. If you're saved, you ought to love to share Jesus with people and talk about what he's done in your life. And if you if you don't have that desire, you probably don't know him to start with. But... But in that, here would, here would be my thing, um, starting this off in a positive way. What is your excuse? What is the excuse that you hold to or the excuses that you hold to that causes you not to further your walk with the Lord and to put yourself in a place to go, I want, I want to make a difference for, for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, I want to be a, a tool that God can use and work through. I want to be a vessel uh, of His glory that I want to reach people. I want to show the love of Jesus. I want to speak the Word of God to people. I want to share the gospel. people. When I stand before the Lord, I don't want to stand there empty-handed, having done nothing to show my love for what He's done for me. I want people to be there that God used me to impact their lives. I want to be a world changer. You know, when I first surrendered to preach, him, you know, back then, I'll be honest with you this morning, back then when I first surrendered to preach, him, I'd been, my walk with the Lord continued to grow and continued to grow, and, and the Lord started dealing with me about that, and then, and then I surrendered to preach and started moving forward in that area of my life. In my heart, my mind, I thought, I'm going to be a world changer. I'm, I truly am. I believed God could do amazing things. You know, and, and at that point, I had my eyes totally fixed on Jesus, I think, and, and I believed that with all my heart. And, you know, as you go along, all of a sudden, you take your eyes off of, it's sad to say, sometimes you take your eyes off of Jesus and you put them on the church. And then all of a sudden, you begin to question, is anything going to change? Not that the churches are all bad. 
by no means, but but the devil tries to want to uh, he wants to get your eyes off of the one who who saved you and called you to start with. And a lot of times, what the devil wants to do is he wants to start putting up excuses. And I think I think people sitting here today are full of excuses of why one way or another we're not engaged in God's calling and purpose for your life. So what is your excuse that that keeps you back from is it that you just don't believe the gospel or the power that it has to radically change, alter eternity, alter Here's what I believe the gospel and this is what I know. Number 1, the gospel raises the dead to life. It it radically brings you into a relationship with God from a sinner to a saint in a moment's time when you believe and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. God's Spirit lives in you. He begins a work in you that He'll complete until the day that He takes you home. He's altering and changing your life. He's molding you. He's, he's giving you the nature and the character of Jesus. He's got a purpose and call of your life that, that I don't care where anybody is in here or anybody is outside of these walls. I believe the answer to every problem, every everything that's going on in this world is falling apart is the gospel of Jesus. If people started believing it, not just going to church and started believing the gospel and what it can do and the power of it. The Bible says the power of God and the salvation. You would see a transformation in your own life, in your attitude, in your hopes, in your dreams, in your desires, in your marriage, in your children, in your grandchildren, in generations, in churches, in a nation, and in a world. But instead, we hold on to these excuses, oftentimes listening to the lies of the devil and if you sit here and go, I believe that, I believe that, then I think we, if we really believe that, just this small group of people, you know, if you look at the church early on in Acts, it was a small group of people like we have this morning, and it wasn't too long, about three or four years into them believing the gospel and carrying it to the world, their, their reputation was they have turned the world upside down. The same message we believe and preach today. And I still believe that, that there's a group of people God desires to use to show His power and His glory in that can turn the world upside down, but we continue to hold on to excuses. I think a lot of excuses are, and I'm going I'm to clear these up this morning with what I teach, I hope. I believe a lot of these excuses are, number one, I just don't feel adequate. I don't know God's Word. You know, I don't feel like I, you know, I need to be talking to people because I might tell them the wrong thing. Not telling them anything is totally telling them the wrong thing. Okay? And the second thing, let me clear that excuse up. How long does it take to know God's Word? Can you answer that? I want you to answer it to yourself. How long do you think it's going to be before you can adequately tell people that Jesus died for their sins, was buried, rose again, and if you'll repent, believe on Jesus, he'll radically change everything in your life. Now, I just talked to that in about 30 seconds. That's a that's a good foundational start, and you got to start somewhere. And let me clarify that. Well, I'm afraid I'll say something wrong. You will say things wrong. I have said things wrong from the time I've started this, and I'm going to say things wrong probably till I'm dead. And when I know that I'm wrong, I just go back and correct it. But if you speak God's word, it's never wrong. Okay, and and maybe you're here to go. Well, I I, I just feel like I'm not worthy. Because there's a lot of people go, hey, man, I'm just my life. I don't feel like I'm worthy. You know, who am I, who am I to tell people about Jesus? Well, hopefully you're a, you're a saint. You're a son. You're a daughter. Because you've been born again. That's what makes you worthy. 
Not, well, if I come to church long enough, if I quit this and stop that, and I start this and I pray enough and I read my Bible enough, and all that stuff, one of these years, long time from now, a lot of us are running out of time, amen? And the world around us is running out of time. If the world's waiting on people to get perfect in the church, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And obviously that's what's happening. And we've got to come to the place where you go back to the power of the gospel to make all things new, to change everything in you. And here's the great thing. When you see yourself as, you know what, I'm unworthy and I make mistakes and I fall and I sin and I do all those things, you're in a great spot. You're in a great spot. You know why? Because you ain't lying about it. Because every one of us fall and we fail and we sin and we make mistakes and we, and we burn out and we burn up and we do all, we go through all these seasons in life, but you'll never be perfect. And if you're waiting to get perfect before you start sharing Jesus, here's the thing. When people, when you share Jesus, they go, well, look at you. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Him. I'm, I'm magnifying Jesus. I'm not saying trust in me, believe in me, follow me. I'm telling you, look to Him. That's the reason I'm telling you because if He can save a moron, and a sinner as big as I am, then he can save anybody. If he can give hope to the people that I've seen him give hope to hundreds of people and change hundreds, thousands of people's lives, if he can do that with them, he can do that with anybody. You know, Paul didn't go around preaching Paul. He said, I preach the cross of Jesus Christ. So, you know, as God's people, I just, I just want to encourage you because, you know, the devil has tempted me a lot here lately just just to kind of tone down and accept reality. That's that's what the devil wants to do. Just accept reality. Church is never going to be what you hoped it would be. You're not going to be a world changer. What you're going to do is, like Cody said, you're just going to come to church. You're going to stand up preaching a bunch of people. Most of them are going to forget it by the time Sunday afternoon's over. They're going to go on about their busy lives, you know, and next Sunday they'll be back to feel guilty when you pour it on them again. And I'm like, if that's all there is to what I'm doing, I just soon not do it. I don't believe that. I do believe some of you folk have got it. Several of you have got it. I see the Lord in you. I see a, a belief in you. I see a conviction that you live by. I see the, the way that you desire to know Jesus and share Jesus with people. I see you making changes in your life. I see the work of the Holy Spirit in you. I see a whole lot more of you who have potential. You have the potential, but you continue to listen to the world and chase after it. And you think that you're going to get something that you've always wanted and you're not going to find it. And I hope somewhere along the way, something that I say, something that somebody else says, something that somebody does, shakes you enough in life to where you go, you know what? This life's not about me. And it's not about just, you know, Christianity is not about just going to church and trying to be good. You know what Christianity is? It's a person who's wholly devoted to Jesus. That's what Christianity is. It's a person who believes and follows Jesus. Don't make it anything else than that. It's not a person who, yeah, I did this, and I went there, and I'm trying harder. That's not Christianity. That's called religion. Christianity is, I had somebody tell me, whether it was my mom and dad, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a brother, a sister, a friend, somebody told me the story of Jesus. And I... I looked at that and I considered it and I thought about it and I come to the place through the, through the working of God's spirit in me and through the power of his word that I believe it and I live my life for him and I'm wholly devoted to the one who was wholly devoted for me. That's Christianity. And so when you look at, at Romans chapter five, you know, I want to talk to you today and 
hopefully the next few weeks, like you, like you are people who go, we want this. We want to learn. We want to be equipped. We want you to give us what God's word says so that we can take it, so that we can put it in our hearts, we can apply it in our lives, we can share it with the world. Because the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, shall be saved. But how will they call on whom they have not heard? People don't just wake up one day and go, you know what, I think I'm going to be saved. People have to hear the gospel. And if we go back to to uh, what we started this this series with, is say, why do people need to hear? Because it's not because they're on drugs and need to get off. It's not because they're getting a divorce and need to save their marriage. It's not because they're poor and they need a job. It's because there's a day of wrath coming. There's a day of wrath coming. And hell is real and hell is miserable. And that's where people who do not repent and trust in Jesus are going to go. I don't care how churchy they are, how Baptist they are, how smart they are, how rich they are, how poor they are. Without Jesus, people die and they're going to end up in hell because a day of wrath is coming. And if you don't tell them, that's where they're headed. It doesn't matter how sweet they are, how old they are, how good you think they are. Without Jesus, fact, without repentance and faith in Jesus, you have no hope. No hope. And the only hope the world has is the church wakes up to that truth and we start speaking it. Okay? Looking in Romans chapter 5. I think we're going to put it up on the board for you, are we? There we go. I'm going to start in verse 1, and then we'll focus on verse starting in verse 6. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been, I could teach so much of this, having been justified, the word justified is a legal term. It's talking about a court case that takes place between God is a judge, man is a sinner. Jesus is the one who saves. He is the one who comes in between us and God, basically representing us if he's your Lord and Savior. Therefore, having been justified by faith, justified means justified, never sin. I'm totally innocent before God, free from all crimes uh, against God because of my sin. We have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It means we're looking forward to the time when Christ comes back and we're totally transformed into the finished product of salvation. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. All right. Now, when you pick up in verse 6, you know, one of the things, if you're going to share the gospel, I want you to share it right. You want to share it right because people's eternity hangs in the balance. This is not just something we do. Hey, hope they get it. And if they don't, you know, they'll probably have some bad things happen in life and everything will be good. No, if people don't get it, they're going to hell. That makes sense. Go back two weeks, watch the watch the message if you don't get that, all right? But the problem you have to deal with, salvation has been made so many things in this culture. You know, me and my wife's having problems, we're having trouble in our marriage. What you need to do is be saved. Okay, tell me whatever I need to do so that my marriage can be fixed. Well, pray this prayer. 
You know, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe that you're the Savior of the world and died on the cross for me. Lord, I believe that, blah, blah, blah. Lord, I want to receive you as my Savior. I accept you today. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you're saved. All right, now what? Now, now everything's going to get better in your marriage. Right? And you can put that scenario with any subject going, I'm on drugs. I'm in jail. I'm having a bad time. I lost my job. I had people die. This and that. Well, what you need, you need to be saved. You need to repeat this prayer. So the person repeats it. What are they dealing with? Their marriage, their loss, their sorrow, their jail time, their troubles. That's the symptoms of sin. That's not, that's not the problem of sin. You see, Jesus, if you look in the scripture, the Bible said he came to save us from our sin. Because sin is what separates us from God. I don't want to preach this to you. I want you to get this. Okay? This is what you're going to communicate to other people. You have, if you're going to win people to Jesus, if you're going to approach it, you have to deal with sin. Even though it's not popular, even though it ticks people off, even though people don't believe it anymore, it's real. You cannot believe it however you want to, but the Bible points out very clearly, a person has to deal with their sin or they will not be saved. Jesus didn't die on the cross for your emotions, for your hurt feelings, for the bad things that happen in life, for your mistakes. We use all these words. I, I get so tired of, of seeing things on TV or, or hearing things on the radio or sitting there on Facebook, you know, Jesus died for all your mistakes. No, he didn't. He didn't die for your mistakes. He died for my sin that I purposely, willfully, and enjoyed being involved in. That's what he died for. It wasn't a mistake. I did it on purpose. I lie to you on purpose. I hate you on purpose. I, I, all these different things that I do, none of your business, all right? But I didn't do it. Oh, 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 sorry, that was a mistake. No. If I trip on the floor, that was a mistake. If I dive, that's on purpose. Sin is on purpose because we're all sinners. And so you have to deal with that. In order to reach people with the gospel, that their soul might be saved from the day of wrath, and their lives can be healed and transformed, we have to go to the source of the problem. And the source of every problem that we have in life is sin. Here's the thing. Sin is a sickness. It's like a terminal disease that's in our blood. When you look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, it says this. For when we were still underlined without strength, we were without strength. Without strength in the Greek is a word that means feeble, sick, paralyzed, like the palsy. You remember the story in the gospel where where the, the <coughs> two or three different times, but but the four, the four friends carried their buddy on a bed. They got to the place where Jesus was. Why did they carry him? Because they believed Jesus. So they picked him up and they carried the picture of us carrying somebody Jesus on the cross. Good to team up on him. They get there. There's a large crowd. He's inside. They can't get in. So they go up on the roof. They tear the roof apart. Thatch roof. Okay. They tear the roof apart. They lower the dude in. You know, we always sit, we always envision like he's laying on his bed and he calmly comes in. Everybody just watches. I think, you know, they couldn't fit the bed there. I think they kind of wrapped that rope around his waist and he's spinning in the air. He's coming down, you know. Anyhow, he gets there and Jesus, the Bible says, I believe it's Mark chapter 2, he saw their faith. Now, there in a minute, he said, son, thy sins are forgiven thee. The Pharisees like, who is he? Who is he that he can forgive sins? Well, he's God. That's what he's demonstrating. He said, what is, is it easier for me? 
Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to rise up, take your bed and walk, but that you might know that the Son of Man has the power and authority on earth to forgive sins? I want you to know who you're dealing with here. And then he says, take up your bed and walk. The dude gets up, takes up his bed and walks. That's what sin is. Sin is a sickness that paralyzes us, that every one of us have, and it brings us to death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. And that's what separation from God is. Every person is born with that sickness. Now here's the problem. The problem is that sin grows so slowly and subtly And death is not immediate. So you know what we do? We just ignore it. You know, if you wake up, you know, one morning, you look and you you look on your arm or you look on your chest or on your belly or wherever, you got a little, you got a little bump, like no big deal. If you woke up one morning, you had a cantaloupe on the front of you, you'd probably be like, I need to go to the doctor. But it grows a little and you just ignore it and you deal with it your own way and all that. Next thing you know, your whole inside of your body's eat up with cancer because you just did what? You just ignored it. It wasn't no big deal. And it, it became a part of your life. He's like, oh, I've always had that. Da, da, da. Next thing you know, you're dead. That's what sin does. Sin just a little bit at a time. You know, and so man ignores it. Next thing you know, he justifies it. Oftentimes he embraces it. And man's doing everything he can do to defy it. Man's doing everything that he can do to defy the final result of sin, and that's death. We spend billions of dollars to defy the results of sin. You know what you've got to do to deal with sin? You've got to confront it. You've got to confront it in your own life. You've got to confront it in the lives of others. Now, I'm not talking about being a judgmental, self-righteous Bible thumper. I'm not talking about it. That's not the way you approach people about Jesus. But you don't avoid talking about the elephant in the room. The elephant is sin. We've got to talk about this. We've got, you need to talk about it with your children. Don't tell your children, oh, you're mommy's little angel. You're just my perfect little baby. Okay, You're a sinner, you little liar. That's what you are. I want you to, I want you to understand that you're a sinner. I love you. I mean, what better way to communicate the gospel? You know, mom and dad loves you, but you lied. Now I'm going to tear your tail end up. That's what the kids need. You're, you lied or, or you know what? You went over to your friend's house. You did something stupid. You know why you do that? Because you're a sinner. You're a sinner just like me. And the only way that's going to change, if you come to the reality that you need Jesus, you tell them they're perfect and what you're doing is creating a, of self-righteous little devils, what you're doing, you've got to confront sin. Some of you don't want to confront the sin in your own life. That's why you don't tell people about Jesus yourself. Well, because, and here would be my thing for that excuse. Well, because I'm involved in this and I'm doing this and I know my life ain't right. So how long are you going to stay there? When are we going to confront these things? When are we going to say, you know what? My life doesn't match up to the scripture and I'm going to make a change. That's called repentance. My life doesn't match the scripture. I'm going to repent. That means I'm not just going to go, Lord, forgive me. It means I'm making a change and I'm going to war. I'm going to at least, this is what I, there are, there are sins that you're going to battle your whole life. And all I want to encourage you is that you war against it. That you, you know what confession is? Confession is, oh God, today I lost my temper. I said something filthy. I'm so sorry. Probably do it again tomorrow, but forgive me. That's, that's not going to give you victory. Here's what confession is. Lord, I agree with your word. I lost my temper today. I said something filthy. And I know your word says, let no filthy communication come out of my mouth. God, I don't want to justify it. I don't want to make an excuse for it. God, I hate it. 
And I want to apologize for it. But most of all, I confess that Jesus is my hope, my righteousness. And through your power and your grace, I will overcome this. You got to confront the sin. So look at the symptoms of sin. What are the symptoms of sin? I'm giving it to you real quick so I'm a little bit behind. Number one, self-centeredness, bitterness, hate, anger, lust, emptiness that leads to covetousness. Lies, evil thoughts, blasphemy, and we could go on and on of what the symptoms of sin are. When you see this in your own life, when you see this in other people's lives, okay, this is the only hope that they've got is Jesus. He's the only one who can overcome sin. The Holy Spirit taking up residence in us gives us power, authority to rule over sin in your life. Sin shouldn't rule over believers. But God give us, he installed an alarm system in every person. Every person has an alarm system. So if you're here today and you go, yeah, I don't know if I'm a sinner or not. And they're like, man, you're totally deluded. But what I am saying is, when you look at other people's lives, you can see that alarm system going off. Number one, I won't go into this much. It's in Romans chapter 1 and 2. It's the conscious. But the three that I want to deal with are right here in Romans chapter 5. Real quick. Um, when you look at Romans chapter 5, let me read that, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, this is good, God, Christ died for the ungodly. So if you're not ungodly, he didn't die for you. For scarcely the righteous man will one die, or perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us, much more than having now been, there's that word again, justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? From the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through faith of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have what? Now Present tense received the reconciliation. When you look at this, you can stay where you're at. In Matthew chapter 15, our first alarm that, that proves that we're a sinner is in Matthew chapter 15. That is our mouth. Let me go there. Our mouth. Sets off a lot of red flags, amen? You say, well, I don't cuss. Well, that's not the only thing that comes out, all right? Matthew 15 and 18, Jesus is talking to, he's talking about what defiles a man. And he says in verse, um, well, verse 16, he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth, he's talking about food, goes into the stomach and is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from where? The heart. You want to know what's in a man's heart? Listen to his speech. You want to know what's in your heart? Just open your ears. What's in my heart? It says, they defile a man, verse 19, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, sexual sin, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. You see, when we open our mouth and pride comes out, pride elevates us and tears down others. Gossip justifies us and hurts others. Anger spews out wrath, hate, and bitterness. Filthy communication per, uh, confirms perversion in the heart. Lies shows that we're deceivers. And so when a person speaks, 
a lot of times you can see what's in the heart because it's coming out. And when you look in Romans chapter 3, you don't have to turn it to Romans chapter 3, write this down, verse 10, it says this. <clears throat> As it is written, okay, if you're here today and you go, I don't feel like I'm, you know, that bad a person. I, you know, I've done a couple of things, and that's what people do. They justify it. Please listen to what the God's Word says here. There is none righteous, no, not one. Righteous means in a right relationship, a right standing with God. You know who goes to heaven? Righteous people. You know who goes to hell? Unrighteous people. This says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. Their throat. Now it's talking about looking at the heart through the mouth. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps or serpent is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know. That whatever the law says. Now, if you're going to justify, if a person is trying to justify themselves by going, I keep the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of people in our day and time who go, I, I try. I, I'm moral. I, I, you know, I'm not totally like, we always want to pick out the words. I'm not like, you know, Hitler or nothing. And, but I, and I try to, you know, obey the law. This is what the Bible says, that we know um, Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. What's the purpose of the law? That every mouth may be stopped. You know, when our mouth speaks and trying to justify ourselves, we're good, don't need all this, you know, repentance and faith, following Jesus' business because I'm this and I'm that, blah, blah, blah. But when you take, all you got to do is take the Ten Commandments. That's all it's going to take. You don't take 618 that are in the Bible under the law. You take the Ten and you try to go, I think I'm, I'm okay and I'm right with God. You know, I've done this a thousand times to y'all, but for new people will do this. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, you have, and so have I. That makes us liars. Have you ever stolen anything regardless of the value? Most everybody here has at one point in time, even if you don't want to admit it. Have you ever looked upon a person in lust? Jesus said, if you look upon a person in lust, you commit adultery already in your heart. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Yes, you have, and I have too. That makes us blasphemers. That's four of the Ten Commandments. If you just stop with four, let's not go through all ten. Four of the Ten Commandments. By that, we're lying, thieving, adulterers, blasphemers at heart in the sight of God. A holy judge who will judge us accordingly on the day of judgment. If you're trusting in the Ten Commandments and your own righteousness to get you there, you're going to stand before a holy God as a lying, thieving, adulterous blasphemer you're a murderer because you've hated people in your life jesus said it's the same as murder most of us have dishonored our parents which was a penalty of death in the old testament under the law most of us have coveted other people's things and we've lied about anyhow all of those things you're standing before god and somehow you think that your good's going to outweigh your bad you're guilty before god as a judge and you will be condemned because of one offense all it takes is one Offense. You'll see that in chapter 5. Adam committed one offense against God. He was separated from God. He spiritually died that day. He became unrighteous in the sight of a holy God. You're like, whoo, that's what the law does. So that when God speaks the law, if you stand before Jesus and go, you know, I, I did this and I did that, he's going to say, my word says, thou shalt not lie. You'll have no other gods before me. You'll have no graven images that you serve. 
So I don't serve graven images. Look at the Benjamins in your bank account. Every one of us have been guilty of serving them. Or the Andrew Jacksons or the, you know, whatever, whatever you got. When you stand before God and he's like, this is, you know what you're going to do? Your mouth is stopped. Hopefully you'll come to that point before you stand before the Lord. That every mouth may be stopped and the whole world, I believe is what it says, may become guilty before God. So why in the world? You know, I thought God wanted me to feel good about myself. You know, I thought God wanted... The Bible says he wants you to look at the law. He wants you to rightly judge yourself so that your mouth is stopped and you become guilty. Why? Because until you become guilty, you'll never desire to be saved. Until you're drowning, you ain't looking for a live jacket. And so the law brings us to a place where it closes the mouth. Our second alarm, it says in Romans chapter 5, that we are enemies of God. Now, I know a lot of people, especially church people, We'll sit here and try to argue with that within himself. Go, I, I, I was never an enemy of God. You know, I wasn't an enemy of God. I've been in church my whole life. I always believed in Jesus. There was never a point I didn't believe in Jesus. My mom and daddy had me there when I was, you know, still in my mother's womb. It was like, we had that kind of family. But, you know, later on, because I know I needed to be saved, I walked out and I did this, but I wasn't an enemy of God. Okay. The Bible says we was enemies of God. How, how does that alarm go off? Because you love sin. Because you love sin and it gratifies you. You know, prior to, prior to, I'm talking to everybody here, hopefully everybody here knows Jesus, I kind of doubt it, but, but if, if you know Jesus, okay, listen to me, prior to your salvation, hopefully there's been a change, you loved sin. I loved it. I loved doing everything I could do and not get caught. So that it would cause, it would be gain to me. It made me feel good. It made me look good. It made me appear in a certain way. I loved sin. And you did too. Quit your lying. Amen. Anybody here want to amen? I've never loved sin. So you just admitted you loved it. To love sin is to be an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. You despise the things of God. And I myself too. So what are the things of God? Let's just sum it up. and want peace with all men. Anybody meet that standard? Peace with all men. Meekness. Self-denial, giving, worship, biblical correction. You know, sinners don't like these things. If you're a believer and you go, I like biblical correction. You know why? Because I believe the Bible's true and my life's out of order. I want somebody to lovingly correct me so that it puts me in the path. Sinners go, who do you think you're standing up here calling me a sinner? And you point your finger back at me, which it don't bother me because I'll agree with you. Sinners hate biblical correction. Sinners, sinners don't enjoy worship. They don't enjoy long sermons. You know, there's been people who've, who've left our church because they preached too long. You know, da-da-da, I'm like, so you're telling me you, you can watch a football game with a bunch of morons running around for two hours. You can shout and spend $500 on food to get everybody to come to your house. You love that, but you don't love being with God's people, lifting up the name of Jesus and worship for 30 minutes, and he's so long-winded, it's just wearisome on us. You know, maybe an alarm's going off. Obedience to the word. Some people like to hear it, they just don't want to do it. Truth. This is what the Bible calls ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. And then the third alarm is the main one is death. 
You know, God, I think God's so kind and so patient, so, so long-suffering. He's like, do you not hear what's, what you're saying, what's coming out of inside of you? Does that not show you that you need salvation? Okay, if that's not working, what about, what about all these things that you have in you that shows that you're an enemy of God? If that doesn't work and, and preaching doesn't get to you and you don't hear and your mom and dad's, you know, their, their example's not working in your life and, I, and you've got your own thing. And I see this young people, I see young people grow up in the church and they're in Sunday school and they hear it and they're in a youth group and they hear it and they're preaching and they hear it and their mom and dad and they hear it. But their sin within them caused them to go, I don't want that. I don't want that because I'm enjoying and loving and gratifying myself in this sin. And all of a sudden, one of the things that happened to me when I was a kid, kid that I went to school with, he was a cool dude, rode a motorcycle, going down the highway, gassed it, come off the back, split his wig open, stepped into eternity. Now, why is it all of a sudden I started looking at myself? You know why? Because alarms started going off because death shakes everybody, especially when it's people around you. Why is it when you fly an airplane through a building that a nation comes to church and wants to hear about the Lord? Because when a man, no matter how hardened his heart is and how arrogant he is, when death hits him in the face, when a physical, when you go to the doctor and you ain't even consider God and all of a sudden they get, you've got terminal cancer, six months to live, get your life in order, most people think about eternity. All of a sudden, an alarm goes off. You know why you do that? It's because you're not sitting there thinking, well, great, I'm so good. Heaven's just going to have a party when I walk in. In reality, the way God built us, we go, oh, I'm fixing to stand before a holy God. And I know, you know, and I know what we deserve. If he, if he judges me right, I'm going to hell. Death is the alarm that goes off. You know, and here's the thing. We all see it going off. It doesn't happen. It doesn't have to happen. Just look at fleshly decay. How many of you never brush your teeth and you look like a Hollywood smile without spending millions of dollars? Let's be real. Your teeth fall apart. Your structure falls apart. Your hair falls out or it turns gray. Your eyes go dim. And next thing you know, you're up here wearing glasses. Your strength is not what it was. Some of you young people who are like, man, I'm stronger than ever. Wait till you hit 50. It's not for the weak-hearted. Your memory starts to go. Your immune system starts to go. You know what all those are? That's God's friendly reminders to go, you got something you need to deal with. You got something I came to save you from. You need to wake up. Because Romans 6, 23, I'm almost done, says the wages of sin is death. Here's the thing. The bill comes due. A lot of us are living on a credit card. And we take that credit card and we punch it in there. And we're like, all right, I got gas. And we punch it in there and we go, all right, I got hunting stuff. And we punch it in there and we go, all right, I got a new purse. It was $2,000. And, and punch it in there. Okay, I got new clothes. And we punch it in there. And like, man, there's nothing to this. 30 days and the bill comes due. You can live off the credit card. The devil wants you to live off the credit card. Build a big, and here's the thing, we, most of us, you like me, way over balance in my life. I credit this on sin, and credit this on sin. One of these days, and I'll get past it, and I'm going to blah, 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 and just more and more, and more and more, and more and more, and all of a sudden, the bill comes due. The wages of sin is death. So what's the answer to sin? Let's look at it right here, all right? Looking in verse 12, 
It says, therefore, this is the part I want you to really pay attention to. Don't lose me in the last ten minutes. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. That puts us in all the same level. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned accordingly in the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. There's the first Adam who represented all mankind. He sinned, therefore all mankind became sinners. We're all going to die. The second Adam comes, the Lord Jesus. He represents all of mankind. Okay, let's finish and say what happens because of that. It says, but the free gift, you got that? The free gift, salvation is a free gift, is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more. Everything to do with Jesus hyper, hyper accelerates over sin. And what what sin accomplished. Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man. Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one man who sinned. What happened? What come about because of Adam, the first Adam? For the judgment which came from one offense. You get that? One offense. Why is everybody dying? One sin. One offense. That's the power of sin. Many died. Okay? For the power of one, many died, but much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ abandoned many, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came through came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in what? Justification. That means when the when the judge strikes the gavel and goes, free, innocent of all charges brought against you. For if by one man's offense death reigned, through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, that's the gift, will reign in life. Through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, get this. The law entered that the offense might abound. You know what the law is for? The law entered that sin might abound. That means that the weight of the law crushes all false hopes of righteousness. Peace with God through religion. Peace with God through my good works. Peace with God through morality. The law crushes that. Because the law magnifies our sin. I'm okay. Look at the law. Not okay. That was a little sin. Jesus said, put you to death. Not a little sin in God's sight. All of a sudden, here I stand with the weight of the law on me. And understand, all of the Ten Commandments came with the penalty of death. Every one of them. 
You go, who can, who can bear such a weight? You're telling me that my church attendance, that my giving, that my Bible reading, that my walking out, that my baptism, that my confirmation, that, that all the things I'm doing doesn't lift that weight off. It's crushing me, the weight of sin. Who can bear it? Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. You see, here's the way to sin crush you. This is a cross right here. Don't miss this part. This is what you need to tell people. At the cross, the way to sin was crushing us. Jesus steps in and takes the weight, and it crushed him. So that you could receive a free gift. Wow, amen. Some of the best response I've ever heard, church. So let me finish up. Just, just let the word speak. For all you who, who feel like, man, I just keep falling, I keep failing, this and that. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the fence might abound. But where sin abounded. Grace, the word in Greek, hyper abounds. What about when the devil comes against me as a believer? You know, you did this, you did this. He wants you to feel so guilty, so ashamed that you offer up your excuse to God to go, who am I to tell about Jesus? And Jesus like, my grace hyper abounds. Hell can't even begin to match what I've done for you, what I've accomplished for you. You don't have to bow your head in shame. You don't walk around feeling guilty. What you need to do is understand the power of the gospel to set you free, to make you new. Here's what happens at the moment that you trust in Jesus. The gavel strikes based upon what he's done. The judge says, you are free. You are pardoned for all crimes, all sin against God. You are now justified. You have your paper that shows you are totally innocent before God. Not only that, in the spirit, you are born into God's family. Old things are passed away. All things are made new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You hold the glory of God within you every day through the presence of the Lord in your life and God's grace hyper abounds on you so that where sin abounds grace much more abounds man that's good stuff and then it says so as sin reigned in death even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord everything that Adam janked up Jesus fixed it and he way fixed it You know, people need to hear that. I think a lot of people are walking around with so much shame and so much guilt because of so many things that sin has brought about in their life, probably in this crowd. Like, come in, I don't feel like I'm, some of you don't, you know why you don't sing? You don't feel like you should sing. You don't feel worthy to sing. You don't feel worthy to pray. You don't feel worthy to praise. Did you not just hear that right there? Would you not just take a preacher's word for it? Will you hear what the word of God says? Grace abounds. The Bible says you reign. You reign through grace, not by your performance. And the world needs to hear that message. You can take Romans chapter 5, lead any sinner you want to straight to the cross of Jesus Christ where they walk away new and full of hope. That's the power to change the world. You hold it in your hand or you will go through this week and offer up excuses. You know what excuses are going to produce? Hell full of people. That's what it's going to produce. 
And as God's people, I just want to encourage you, go back and get in that scripture. Don't just stop this morning when you leave. Go back and tear that scripture apart and look what the Lord is speaking to you and let it wash over you and transform you. Believe the word of God. Quit going by your emotions, your feelings, and even your actions. If your actions keep falling, let it fall you at the foot of the cross and confess to God and war against it. And the Bible says you will reign over that sin in your life. You can overcome it. There's nothing that can hold you down. There's nothing that can keep you from... What grace did? Grace was like, I took care of all your excuses. Now what? There is no excuse that you can offer to God. I took care of that. Lord, you know I have these thoughts. I took care of that. Lord, you know sometimes I lose my temper. I took care of that. That's sin abounding. Grace much more abounds. That's sin abounding. Grace much more abounds. There's a no end in account of the blood of Jesus and the power to set you free and to make you new. You just got to get it. If you're here today, you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. I would ask you this question. Is your heart devoted to Jesus? Not to the church. Not devoted to some ceremony that you went through. When you look at your heart, can you say, my heart loves Jesus? There was a point in time in my life where I turned from my greatest problem, my sin. I acknowledge that before God. I believe and trust in what Jesus has done for me through his death, burial, and resurrection, that he was crushed for my sin so that I could be free from the penalty of it. If you've never done that today, I'm just gonna, we're going to do it different. I just want you to bow your heads. Don't stand up. Just bow your heads right now. I just want to give you a second. You don't got to come up front. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to look up. I'm asking you to deal with it. Right where you said God can totally radically save you, transform your eternity. You can leave here today when you walked in on your way to hell and you can leave out on your way to heaven. You can come in here as an enemy of God and leave a totally forgiven son or daughter of God. You can come in here with carrying the weight of sin and walk out free. You can walk out giving glory to God for the grace right there where you said if you'll repent of your sin, trust in Jesus. And then as, as believers, this is what I want you to deal with. How long are you going to make excuses? What is it in your life that is keeping you from fulfilling God's calling and purpose that he has for you, that he saved you so that you could live for him and honor him and glorify him so that other people could be saved? Just sit there for a minute if you don't mind.